So does creation really point us to the one true God? What does it say? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us today on The Line of Fire. You may know that tonight, Tuesday night, will be the first of three presidential debates, but this will be the first before early voting starts in many states. So there will be a lot of eyes on this. We'll we'll talk about it briefly, but I want to open up the phone lines. Any subject of any kind, just like on Friday, if you want to call, ask me a question, raise an issue, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-3487. 884. Bottom of the hour, we will be joined by a creation scientist talking about what we learn, can learn from creation. And uh, we may even field some questions regarding that as well. But any question of any kind, anything you want to interact with me on 866-348-7884. So I, I did this poll on Twitter and I asked this, if there's a decisive victory in tomorrow night's debate, will that affect your vote? So there's still six hours left for people to vote. We got 1,042 votes as of this moment. And I gave four choices. Yes, if Biden wins. Yes, if Trump wins. No, and not sure. So the vast majority were no, 88.2% no. And we, we put this discussion up on Facebook as well, not as a poll, but as a discussion. And hundreds of people were weighing in with their viewpoints there. But it would seem that Almost 9 out of 10 are saying, my mind's made up. I know how I'm voting either way. 6.1% said, not sure. Just got to see what happens and how it affects you. But interestingly, 1.5% said, yes, if Biden wins, that would affect their vote. Again, we're talking about a decisive victory. But 4.1% said, yes, if Trump wins, indicating that there were more people that he could influence positively then Biden. Now, again, this is just my little cross-section on Twitter. I've only got 43,500 Twitter followers, so I don't have like, tens of millions of Twitter followers that, that you know, we can get the sampling from. And even so, it would be a sampling of people who are my followers who would, for the vast part, be conservative in their beliefs and biblically-minded and things like that. In any case, in any case, my prayer going forward is, God, your will be done. That has been my prayer That will be my prayer. God, your will be done in the November elections. I know how I'm planning to vote. I know what I believe is better, weighing the options for America in terms of my own views. And at the same time, I'm not praying for a candidate to get in. I've never never prayed for a specific candidate to get in. I pray for God's will to be done. What is in the best interest of this country in God's perspective, sometimes it's different than what we think, We have to vote our conscience, but I pray that God's will would be done. Now, here's how things could potentially unfold in a way that could influence voters. Because you figure the great majority have made up their minds. What if former Vice President Biden really collapses in the debate? In other words, he loses his way if the concerns about failing mental health, what if that manifests itself? What if, what if he, he really bombs? 
he loses track of, of thought. He, he does like he did the other day, referencing that he's been in the Senate for 180 years. What if that happens and there's, there's a complete failure collapse and people realize we, we can't vote for him? And so it, it could discourage people who are not that enthusiastic about him to start but just want to get Trump out. That could get people that are maybe wavering to not vote for him or sit out the election entirely or something like that. Um, on the flip side, if he's strong, if he's clear-headed, if he seems to have good answers, if he seems to be a nicer person than Trump, then that can certainly energize more people to vote for him or get people that are on the fence to go his way. What if Trump just is stupid and nasty and insulting everybody, Chris Wallace and everybody, but in ways that seem not just going after fake news, but immature, avoiding issues? What if he's nasty and Biden is nice? Then you're going to have fence sitters that either won't vote or will vote for Biden that would have voted for Trump. I mean, it's easy to see something like that happening. You know, if if either one kind of self-destructs, that could potentially affect the vote. On the other hand, what if people see that the real Donald Trump is not as bad as they thought? What if they see that he's not the racist they thought he was or the xenophobe that they thought he was? or the complete jerk that they thought he was, and he answers questions well, and he exposes Biden's record compared to his record on many key issues, then that could get fence sitters to go his way. Look, I, I heard from someone the other day who up, up until now has, has been uh, extremely hostile to Trump. I mean, he emailed me saying he believes he's the Antichrist. Seriously. Actually, he sent me that. And the other day, he said, I actually heard him speak for the first time in a press conference and was very surprised. <laughs> I thought, that's not interesting. In other words, he's read so much about him and, and read the quotes and other things, but just hearing him interact at a press conference, or it may have been the Amy Coney Barrett announcement, he really liked the style. They said, I think I'm going to vote for him. So obviously, this, this person's wavering in his, in his views. Many people waver in extreme ways. But it could be that when people actually get to know the person, in a closer way, because they've been so demonized that they win like that. So on the one hand, there's been so much said about Vice President Biden, Biden's alleged declining mental health and strength and stamina, that if he just does decently well, doesn't really blow it and holds his energy through the whole thing, that, that that'll be a great victory. On the flip side with Trump, because he's been so demonized and so caricatured that if he's just not that bad and, and, and actually comes out as decent and caring in some ways or with a good track record, then that can be a victory. We shall see. I, I plan to watch tonight. I didn't watch 99% of either of the conventions, watch some clips from them afterwards. I just, I normally just read transcripts afterwards and, and don't watch a lot of the stuff live, but I may I may watch live and, and I may live tweet my thoughts and my impressions. 866-34-TRUTH. Big thing is don't get caught up emotionally in the elections either way because Jesus is Lord no matter who's in the White House. Jesus is Lord. God's kingdom is advancing no matter who's in the White House. 
Yes, the vote is important. Yes, many things happening of great consequence in America. But keep your focus where it needs to be. If you've not yet ordered your copy of Evangelicals at the Crossroads, we've been really blessed to hear from readers. In fact, at the moment, it seems to be my, my most highly rated book on Amazon in terms of responses that it, it's really what people were looking for that lays out both sides of the issues clearly, explains how we can vote for Trump without losing our testimony, but saying more important than that is our witness. More important than that is putting the cross before the flag. More important than that is uniting around Jesus, even if we differ about Trump. So check that out at our website, AskDrBrown.org. All right, let's go to Jonathan in Jackson, Mississippi. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Good afternoon, Michael. Hey. Uh, What I want to talk about is my concern that uh, a lot of new age stuff has crept into the uh especially the charismatic movement and it's per- particularly at bethel and there's a book that i've read about that they got called the physics of uh heaven that according to what i read they're trying to rescue things from the new age that they feel like are true and bring them over into Christianity. And there's nothing true in the new age that needs to come into Christianity. And their video of supposedly the glory cloud coming in that a lot of people have seen, I don't believe that's the glory cloud. I think it's something demonic because if it was the glory cloud, they would not be filming it with their phones. They'd be on their face before God, just like the Israelites were when they dedicated Solomon's temple. Right. So I share concerns about certain weird practices, unscriptural practices coming into the the charismatic movement or parallels with with um, the occult and things like that. Uh, I, I'm concerned with that. I'm equally concerned about uh, those who reject the gifts and power of the Spirit for today, there uh, I see error that concerns mm-hmm. me on both sides. I, I got the Physics of Heaven book, and this is not like a textbook in terms of, of a major thing that's taught at Bethel, but it's it's endorsed by folks from Bethel, and it has some Bethel folks in it. I read some of it. What I what I read uh, concerned me, but uh, then I read some other parts that just seemed to, to be trying to come at things from different angles. I look at this, Satan counterfeits a lot of truth, okay? There are counterfeit healings, there are counterfeit miracles, there are counterfeit prophecies, there are counterfeit deities that that allegedly, you know, each season they die and they rise from the dead. There are counterfeit trinities. So to recognize that there are satanic counterfeits and to say, but here's where we see the real truth, that's what we need to do. So I didn't, I didn't go through all the book carefully, and sometimes the critics can overplay things. But for the most part, we've got no business going there. In other words, what the Word of God says and the reality of the Holy Spirit is, is such that we, we have no business going in these other ways or trying to find parallels. If I'm trying to reach someone that's in, in, in a culture, new age, and trying to build a bridge of understanding, see, you understand like this, but here's what we see it. This is the truth. Fine, but may everything be—we need to base things on Scripture— on the simple gospel, on, on the gifts and power of the Spirit. We don't need to interact with that. So any, any folks that are going that direction, they really need to pull back and get grounded more clearly in Scripture. And, and I believe that in many ways, I don't know about this specific book, Jonathan, but in, in many ways, 
Bethel is, is seeking to clarify things it does believe and clean up some things that do need cleaning up. I don't know if that this book would, would fall in a category in, in their eyes, but to me, you're, you're, you're opening the door to a spirituality you don't need to. As for the glory cloud, remember the Israelites fell to their faces when, when, when the fire of God fell and the priests could not enter the, uh, the temple to minister because of the cloud. But the Israelites saw that cloud every day, Jonathan, and every day that was with them in the wilderness. So for God to manifest his glory today as a sign of his presence, that could well be. I can't speak to what happened or didn't happen at Bethel on a given occasion. I wasn't there. But the idea of the cloud of glory appearing, I don't see where in the New Testament says that can happen as a sign of God's presence and power. So I wouldn't say that if it happens automatically, everyone has to be on their face because it was there with the Israelites in the wilderness every day, the pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. But definitely, sir, some concerns that are worthy. Read the book for yourself, though. God of light. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. Bottom of the hour, we'll be joined by creation scientists. So if you have a question about creation, Bible, and science, something like that, maybe we'll get to some of your questions on that as well in the bottom half of the hour. 866-34-TRUTH. So the reason that I encourage Jonathan that had just called in, concerned about New Age practices in the church, charismatic church specifically. The reason I encouraged him to read Physics of Heaven for himself is because I have found that the way hypercritics often represent what charismatics believe or teach or some charismatics or even things of my own, uh, the way it's represented is often so caricatured, many times completely inaccurate, uh, many times unfair, in other words, taking a statement out of context, not looking at a larger context that clarifies what's being made, what's being said. So if you really want to find out, read for yourself. Now, you may read for yourself and say, man, this is worse than I thought. That, that's fine. But it's always good to check for yourself. Well, I saw a quote from this video. Right, but did you see the whole quote in context? You know, one guy was attacking Bill Johnson over a quote, one critic. And when I watched the actual video, well, when Bill Johnson kept talking, he explained exactly what he was saying, and it happened to be thoroughly orthodox. There's nothing wrong with it. Right? I'm not Bill's apologist or critic, but I'm just saying what he said was fine. But the critic pulled it out in such a way to give a false impression. So always dig to find out for yourself. All right? And, and here, I'll give you an example. Uh, <laughs> I, I have this file of hate mail where I'll just throw things, the latest crazy attack on me or our, our team will send us here, Dr. Brown, here's a website attacking your new video. And, and of course I don't go through the websites or watch the videos. You know, I, I feel bad for the people attacking me for two reasons. One, they're, they're wrong, they're an error in the attack. And, and two, I can't help them. In, in other words, I'd like to be a blessing to their, to their lives, but if they see me a certain way, I won't be able to help them. Let, let me just, uh, let, let's throw these up just one at a time, guys. Um, this fellow named Andrew posted this. You seem to be one of the most aggressive and aggressively dishonest apologists for the Jewish subversion of Christ's message. It's incredibly difficult to listen to. Poor Andrew. Lord bless this guy. So in other words, by pointing out the Jewish roots of the faith and by grounding the New Testament and what comes before it, 
that the new fulfills the old rather than abolishes the old. I am subverting the message of, of Christ. Boy, you wonder how Jesus the Jew and the Jewish apostles would feel about something like this. How about this one? How about, how about this? Dr. Michael Brown is not even saved. Why would anyone ask this idiot anything biblical? Pathetic. So obviously this fellow Jack Smack believes he is saved, right? So we pray for him if he's not to really know the Lord. But is, you think, what somebody thinking? See, Dr. Brown said, why would it bother me? Why would it bother me if someone completely misunderstands me, misrepresents me, has no clue who I am or what I believe? It would only bother me for his sake because I'm called to bless and serve and help as many as possible, and there's someone I can't. So that's, that's what bothers me for his sake. It doesn't bother me for my sake. I'm, I'm blessed by the Lord. I'm called by the Lord. And to the extent I'm honoring the Lord and doing what he's called me to do, backed by the Lord, just like you, to the extent you're honoring him, doing what he's called you to do, you're backed by him. I, f- I feel bad for the people on the wrong side. And where I learn and grow and get constructive criticism, which I get from many on a regular basis, I drink it in. That's life. That's wonderful. But to get attacked and maligned, hey, that happens. But, but here, this is, I, I mean, we go through that literally many thousands of things like this, or tens of thousands, God knows. But here, check this one out. Uh, what was this fellow's name? I'll leave the name out. You see it on the screen if you're watching. Sometimes I see Mr. Brown as a Jesuit undercover agent or a well-Hellenized soul. It's like close but far, but still calls Constantine's phone number to ask questions and, and directions. So I guess that means that I, I look to the Catholic Church for guidance. I guess that's what it means. And then I'm, I'm, I'm actually a Jesuit undercover agent. I tell you what, tell you what. If you promise not to tell anyone, I'll tell you the whole story. Okay? If you have to promise not to tell. just our secret. Okay? Not only am I a Jesuit undercover agent, but I'm a double agent sent in by Mossad to be an undercover agent working within the Jesuits as an undercover agent but also as an undercover agent working in the evangelical movement to subvert the Messianic Jewish movement in which I also work as an undercover agent to undermine the Jesuits with the ultimate goal being to undermine Mossad. But nobody knows that. So it's just our secret, okay? Promise? Don't tell anyone. All right. Okay. <clears throat> Back to the phones. 866-34-TRUTH. And, and may the Lord help these folks who are so off base, may the Lord bring them into the fullness of the truth. All right, let's go to Robert in New York. Welcome to the Line of Fire. How's it going, Dr. Brown? I'm glad to uh, get to talk to you again. Well, good to talk with you. What's up, sir? I had a really quick question. So we kind of had a circumstance at our church this Sunday where a young gentleman, probably in his 20s, stood up at the end of service, or actually towards the end of service, where there was still preaching going on, and rebuked the pastor. You know, uh, saying that there's false, false teaching going on, A, B, and C. And um, talking to him afterwards, you know, interrupting the service, he was standing on, obviously, Matthew 21, where he says, you know, Jesus turned over the tables as well. He corrected the Pharisees. Um, but biblically, I was showing him a couple of places where he was just, you know, out of line, so to speak. But how would how would you combat something like that, or at least try to explain to him that that wasn't biblical for him to stand up in the middle of a service, interrupt it, 
with everybody there, and uh, and then and that he had biblical backing for doing so. Right. So the the first thing is, if I was the the pastor and this was going on, and something like that happened, I would tell him, "Sit down. You're out of order." And the scriptures are clear in terms of. Uh, Submitting to authority, you know, Hebrews 13, 17 is clear that we're called to, to submit to, to pastoral authority, obviously within bounds. That 1 Corinthians 14 uh, says that there, everything must be done in, in decency and in order. Uh, that uh, 1 Timothy 5 says not to rebuke an elder. So I would, I would say to him, you are, you are out of order, sit down, <clears throat> and if they would not, I would say you're out of order. I rebuke you in, name, in the name of Jesus. Ushers, please remove him. Uh, and and I would do that very, very simply and plainly. And over the years, I've had to do that here and there. Okay, now, you yeah. say, what if the pastor is teaching heresy? He's going completely off the deep end. And God sent a prophet in to warn the church and to publicly rebuke him because he was... You know, the guy is stealing money uh, from the banks, that he has 30 prostitutes on the side, and that he's teaching the Bible is not God's word. Only listen to him. Well, if that's the case, that he has no yeah. authority, and, and let him be rebuked. But as long as it's the pastor of the congregation, uh, he's the one entrusted with, with, with authority. I've told many people over the years that if you differ with the direction of the congregation, you meet privately with the leaders. If they say, this is the way we're going, then you leave respectfully. It's not your job to change a church because they've been given leadership responsibility and they'll give account to God. So that's what I would show that person. Uh, he is not Jesus. You're not dealing with, with uh, corrupt moneymakers here. You're dealing with a pastor seeking to preach the word of God. And uh, the person is completely out of order. Now, if I was dealing with that person one-on-one -on -one, and they started to claim, you know, well, I'm a prophet, well, I, I tell them, well, I'm a prophet and you're, you're, you're not. <laughs> it's just, you want to play yeah, that yeah, game? Yeah, fine. Yeah. You know, God yeah. told you to come or, well, God told me you shouldn't come and I have the word of God to back me. So submitting to authority, doing things in proper order and don't rebuke an elder. Those are the things well, that I would. Like you did the right thing there. Okay. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And then, if, if there are, you know, there's some real serious issues going on, then let them be discussed. Otherwise, that's just a foolishness, and that's you know, some self-appointed prophet that probably has done that to other churches as well. Now, the thing is, sometimes someone is zealous and sincere, but just wrong. You have mercy on them. Yeah. Yeah. Other times, they're, yeah. they're stubborn rebels, and they need to be rebuked accordingly. Hey, Robert, thank you for the call. Uh, 866-34-TRUTH. John in Tennessee, time is short before the break, so dive in real quick. Hey, yo, what's up? Um, that last guy made me think of another question, but that's like a whole longer thing. So I'm just going to ask, like, what do you think of the fact that like, the Catholic Church has all of the depictions of Jesus being crucified instead of him being risen, which just seems odd? And uh, I've heard Protestants, like, people... That's, of course, a crazy general term nowadays, especially because there's so many branches. It's crazy. But basically, like, they've said that the Catholic Church is secretly a satanic organization. And I've heard Catholics say that the pedophiles and stuff like that infiltrate the Catholic Church because it's the one true Church of God. Yeah, so, so, so yeah, yeah, the short, short answer to the giant questions. Uh, I, I do not like 
the the crucifixes with Jesus hanging on the cross. In other words, a a physical depiction of Jesus, the statues of Mary and Jesus. Uh, I don't agree with those. I don't like them. I have Catholic friends who are genuine believers that say we don't worship the statues, and these are just images that remind us of, of the ones we're praying to. Uh, but I don't believe they should be in our buildings with all respect to my Catholic friends. Uh, as to the Catholic Church, it is neither the true church alone, nor is it the Satan's organization to destroy the world. Uh, there are aspects of truth and error within the Catholic Church. There are true believers within the Catholic Church, but I'm not Catholic for many reasons. If you go to our website, sdrbrown.org, just type in Catholic, you'll find out why some of the simple reasons that I'm not Catholic, but I thank God for believers that are in the church. Amy Coney Barrett seems to be one of them, now Supreme Court nominee to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on The Line of Fire. You know, if you read the scriptures, you see in Psalm 19 that God's voice is heard through creation. Romans 1, creation reveals God so that humanity is without excuse. Uh, my guest that I'm about to bring on, President and Chief Operating Officer at the Institute for Creation Research, Dr. Randy Guliuza. We'll get the right pronunciation of his last name, but just to hear a little bit of his background, uh, he is an MD from University of Minnesota. He was the 28th bomb wing fight surgeon and chief of aerospace in the Air Force, has a master's in public health from Harvard, bachelor of science and engineering from the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology, registered professional engineer, Bachelor of Arts in Theology from Moody Bible Institute, author of a number of books, including Made in His Image, Examining the Complexities of the Human Body, Clearly Seen, Constructing Solid Arguments for Design, Five Minutes with a Darwinist, and 20 Evolutionary Blunders, among other books. So great delight to have Randy with us. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Line of Fire. Well, thank you so very much for the invitation. And uh, how do we pronounce your last name correctly? Well, you are really, really close. It's Randy Galuza. Galuza. All right. I didn't know if the I got pronounced there. Okay. Well, Dr. Galuza, Randy, thank you for joining us today. Uh, let me just step back and ask a large question. There has been, been the perception for years now that the more science you know, the less faith you'll have. The more you study science, the more you realize the Bible can't be true and notion of an intelligent creator can't be true. And my perception as an outsider has been the opposite, that the more you study science, especially in recent decades, the more these things point to an intelligent designer and the God of the Bible. A am I right in thinking that way? Oh, you're absolutely right. In fact, um, I don't know where that, that lie got started, that faith, and science were in some kind of conflict, but the reality is, and, as the, and you mentioned those verses earlier, Psalm 19 and Romans chapter 1, which are totally true that they, the creation does declare the glory of God, but even more important, it says, and shows his handiwork, 
Mm. And the verse in Romans chapter 1 says, For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Now that word made is very interesting. In the Greek it is used only one other time in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, where it says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So your intuition is right on through his handiwork and his workmanship in creation. It is revealing things about us and and revealing things about God. And what we really see, the more we dig down and the deeper we drill biologically from the from the organism level all the way down to the molecular level, we see incredible systems that work together for a purpose. We see many, many places where you have dozens and dozens of multiple parts working together for a purpose. And the more we study, the more we realize that there had to be not just a designer, but a genius, a genius engineer behind everything. So would it be something like you you come down for breakfast in the morning, there's no one in the house, and you see that the breakfast cereal has has spilled, but it's spilled with a, a message that goes from one end of your house to the other, detailed information of everything happening in the stock markets that day that is being reported in in the newspaper that afternoon. You know, you just it's it's thirty feet long wrapped around your, your house, that, that would be a that would be an insignificant and unworthy comparison, say, of human DNA and the idea, well, it just happened. The box just spilled like like that. Would, would that be a picture painted in the right direction but woefully uh, uh, inadequate? Yes, that, that paints the picture well for a couple of reasons. One, you mentioned that it's kind of just spilled out and all over the floor. The whole idea that things were are spilled or happened randomly is pushed for a purpose, and it's pushed in colleges and high schools and things for purpose. And the, the, the purpose is really an anti-design or an anti-designer purpose. And that is because engineers, and I, I'm an engineer, we don't do things without a purpose. We design for a purpose, and the purpose is always to solve a problem. So engineers operate for a purpose, and when I went to medical school, I found out the physicians operate for a purpose. So anybody who wants to accomplish something does it for a purpose. So if you want to push an anti-design or anti-designer agenda, you will argue strongly that there is no purpose and things happen randomly. And so that whole idea of something spilling out is pushed for that idea to just push back against the idea of random. But the second thing you said is also right on target, that you would have this line of letters, which would be detailing the stock market and all these other things. Uh, And it's still woefully inadequate, because what you actually have in the DNA is all the information to build that organism. And I'm talking about every chemical, every compound, every system is all in that information. And it is an astounding amount of information just in the DNA molecule itself. And now we know multiple levels of information, not just the staggering amount of information in the DNA, but there's a level of information actually above the DNA. There's markers on the DNA which control regulation of the DNA. That's called epigenetic information. And then even the architecture, the shape of the chromosome themselves contain a level of information. 
And then there's another level of information just in the cell, the way things are arranged in the cell. It's like if you, if I could see your office right now, the way the lights are arranged and the switches on the wall and your chair and desk, how those are arranged in and of themselves is also sending information. So you have just layer upon layer of information in the cell. So as you said, even in the very first question, the more you look at this and you see these layers, the more you would not have less faith, the more you would have incredible faith that this great creator that we serve can hear your prayers, can do things, can operate and act supernaturally. Mm. And, and at what point does a human being receive its DNA coding? Right at the moment of conception. <laughs> um, that's, you get the DNA from mom and dad, so a human being has uh, one half of their chromosomal repertoire from mom. And then the moment that sperm fertilize that egg, and then the two membranes will fuse. So the sperm will, will only, only human sperm will fertilize the human egg. It will latch onto a specific receptor molecule on the outside of the egg, and actually the sperm will home in on that receptor molecule. When it latches onto that, that will preempt any other sperm from fertilizing that egg. There's multiple mechanisms which stop multiple fertilization. The, the membrane of the sperm will fuse with the membrane of the egg. Tiny little microfibrils from inside the egg will develop very, very rapidly, reach out, grab the, the nucleus, which is dad's contribution of DNA from the sperm, bring it inside the egg. The chromosomes will align at that time, and that's when fertilization has taken place. And that is the very first cell with the DNA repertoire of not a potential human being, but a real human being. A real human being with, with programming that is far more complex than our most detailed computer programming and at, at the moment of, of conception, so I mean, how? What does evolution say to that? It would be one thing if, if evolutionary scientists had no clue about this. They didn't know about DNA. They didn't know about epigenetics. They didn't know about RNA. They, they didn't know about, uh, as it's been called, the signature of the cell and so on. But they know these things. How do they explain them away? Well, they do not explain them away. That's the that's the important point. They want to explain them away, but if, if you were to really seriously look at the literature, the evolutionary literature, and try to find a detailed explanation from an evolutionary perspective of how just sexual reproduction evolved, you're not going to find it. Mm. There is not a detailed explanation out there in the literature. And if someone has a detailed explanation of actually how that, I'd love to have them send me the paper because it's not out there. There are stories and there are speculations that are out there, and they're taught with the force and effect as if they were fact, but they're really not. But if you're looking for a well-documented, biologically plausible and scientifically valid step-by-step -step explanation of even how sexual reproduction evolved, it's not out there. Uh, it's just not in the literature because nobody knows how that could happen. And the fact of the matter is that sexual reproduction, I'm not, whether it's human sexual reproduction or, or any of the other creatures, is so incredibly complicated. So incredibly complicated that you cannot really document how this could happen. And in fact, if 
if we if we had a whole hour I could just go through some human reproduction, you would be blown away and you would say, it's a miracle that anybody is even born um, to get everything to work together just right to bring about a human being. Mm. So I, I read about more and more scientists from geologists to biologists to chemists who have abandoned Darwinian evolution on, for various reasons, and yet you read about the suppression of their views as if there's really a stronghold, an academic stronghold, ideological stronghold that says, thou shalt not dissent. We've got about a minute before the break, but does that really exist in the academic world, or is that just some conspiracy theory? No, that's not a conspiracy theory. Um, it's, it's not that thou shalt not dissent, but thou shalt not dissent publicly, and thou shalt not dissent in a way that a lot of people can hear it. Mm. You can dissent among yourselves, and, but the whole idea, and this is not a conspiracy theory, it's that you must keep your dissent relatively private. You can be heated in your dissent amongst yourselves. You can be... Um, very vocal amongst themselves in their dissent. And as you mentioned, there is a vocal dissent. But what you shall not do is let the public know to any degree the extent of the, of the dissent and the depth of the dissent. That is what you shall not do. Very interesting. And obviously there is the academia that has built itself around Darwinian evolution my guest, Randy Galuza, Dr. Randy Galuza, President and CEO, COO at the Institute for Creation Research. We come back, we'll direct you to that website, find out what's there. And then I want to ask some of the larger questions we've been kind of focusing on in the micro. I want to talk about some of the macro questions with Dr. Galuza. And yeah, I wish I had about 10 hours to sit here and ask questions. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I'm speaking with creation science expert, Dr. Randy Galuza of the Institute for Christian Research, ICR. Randy, how can folks find the website and what material will they find when they get there? Well, our, our website is really easy to find. It's icr.org. ICR stands for Institute for Creation Research.org. So icr.org. And on our webpage, it is a, just a treasure trove of answers to questions. That's what really we offer. Christians have got questions. Pastors have questions. They're hearing things from National Geographic, Discovery, NOVA, every day. Things are piling in from school, at high school, college. And you're, you're going to have questions. You can't be listening carefully and attentively to what's happening in school and not have some questions. So if you go to icr.org, you'll find over 14,000 articles mm. on covering all different kinds of topics, everything from cosmology how we see, you know, starlight in a short period of time, You'll, and particularly in the area of geology and biology. Um, we just specialize in those two areas particularly. And increasingly, we're getting more and more articles on our webpage that are dealing specifically with 
the design that we see in living things and how we can explain biology, not from a Darwinian perspective, but from a a thoroughly design-based perspective. And we like to call it an organism-focused design-based perspective, which is radically, radically different than what you're going to hear from Darwinian evolution. It's not tweaking it. It's not reforming it. It's rejecting it altogether and coming up with a better explanation. Mm. All right, friends, icr.org. And to this, this moment, kids in school are having questions raised, losing faith over issues like this right through college, university. So to know they're, they're scientifically factual, accurate answers that are there, that, that's, that's a lifeline. It's, it's not just information. It's a spiritual lifeline. So, Randy, I've seen videos that will go, like, f- multiply five times and larger, 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 or 50, you know, until you're looking at the universe, you know, starting in, you know, where you are in your backyard, and then smaller, smaller, smaller. And we've been talking about DNA and, and microorganisms and things like that. So it, it's almost like you get to something that's so small, you could fit 100 of them on a human hair, and when you, you when you multiply it and go on, there's a little factory and the people waving, like giving you the thumbs up. It's like, oh my, you know, the you can't believe that there's so much complexity when you get that small. You've touched on that some, but what about the large picture, the the picture of the creator from the heavens, from the universe? Expand on that for us. Well, your your analogy of a lifeline is right on target, right there, and really, when you go down at the small level that you you started out at. What I really see in that, in, at the small level, is the genius of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Creator. I just see incredible genius in terms of design and getting everything to work together precisely for a purpose. When I expand out to the, to the really large scale, the heavens, I, I, Psalm 19.1 is really on target. The heavens declare the glory of God. And when I am looking at that area, what I am seeing is His infinity. Mm-hmm. His his vastness and his his all those omni attributes that we have him his his omnipotence his omnipresence that he's out there in all of that and of course his omniscience which is really really highlighted in the biological realm so in one realm I see genius I see uh, creativity I see those kinds of things at the other realm I see power I see um, just this unlimited, unlimited, almost mind-boggling in, in scale uh, that we would you have to have to comprehend the, the Lord Jesus. Mm. Yeah, and I, I love the way of, of, of contrasting those, those images, because depending on what you're focusing on, you get a, a different aspect of, of who God is. So over the years, you've obviously studied with people who are not believers, and then you're engaged in the literature from people who are critiquing raising points, what would you say is the, the strongest argument or one of the strongest arguments you've heard that, that has thrown Christians and troubled them? Does that have to do with Genesis 1? Is there something else that comes up, the age of the human race, fossil evidence? Well, what comes up, it, it, the most challenging or the most common objection, and how do we handle that? Well, Actually, I think there's two that are, are the strongest one. One of them is, is really only strong because of the common sense factor, and that the question is, how can so many scientists be wrong? That's, that's hard for a lot of people to understand. It's like, wow, there's tens and thousands of these scientists 
can they all be wrong? Are they mm. all duped? Are they, have they all bought into some conspiracy theory? Do they all hate religion or something like that? And so the question is, how can they all be wrong? The answer to that is, they really don't know anybody else's field, and therefore they're really only taught in one worldview, and that is the evolutionary worldview, and that is reinforced through two ways. One, there's peer pressure. You don't want to be the person who doesn't go along with the crowd, even in the scientific community. And two, it gets reinforced, I hate to say at the professional level, through a type of threats and intimidation that if you don't go along with this, your job is at stake. Your career is at stake. In other words, your entire livelihood yep, yep. is at stake. So you, you have that. Um, that's a hard argument to push back. But if you know how academia really works, then it's, it's, it makes sense why so many people who, who go along with the evolutionary explanation, why they do so. The second question, which I think is hard for people to understand, is why... Why is it that creatures can look so similar at, at times? You know, why do humans look like chimpanzees? And why are we closer to chimpanzees than we are to dogs? And why do dogs look a little closer to us than, you know, a sponge does? And so you, there seems to be this hierarchy that you have simple life, which advances to a little more complex life, to a little more complex life. And as you get closer and closer to human beings, that's why chimps and apes and things look closer to us on that. And it seems to indicate there was some kind of evolution over a long period of time. But the fact of the matter is that organisms look similar to each other because we have similar functions and we have to do similar things on this planet. And what you really need to explain is not the similarities, but you need to explain the origins of the systems, these incredibly complex systems, which enable us to turns turn food you eat a piece of bread you turn that into energy how do you explain the origin of metabolism we we face different challenges we adapt how do you explain the origin of adaptation you know we reproduce over time and we grow these are incredibly complex systems made up of of other complex systems that's really what you need to explain the origins of is how do you get all these systems together and once you once you recognize how complex they are and once you recognize that all organisms need to do similar things in many ways on this planet, then you'll see a common design to explain the similarities of these systems and parts. And it would also make sense that with a God of the level of genius that he is, that there could be much shared in DNA. You don't need 10 trillion different models you have a certain system, and then you vary it to get these incredibly diverse results. Uh, Randy, ha have you seen over the years people come to ICR.org that are struggling? Maybe they've lost their faith or they're on the edge of losing their faith. And when they just get facts and information, now that they become convinced again that God and his word are trustworthy? Yes, yes. Your, your, your phrase that this is a lifeline is so accurate because uh, they are on the verge of losing faith and they're doubting and it's it's really a traumatic situation for many of these college students that they are they're, they're wondering if everything they've been taught in church by their parents is all wrong and if they're being pounded incessantly through all these different avenues at school particularly at college and they are on the verge 
And reality is, is there's good answers to the things they're being told. We can throw them that lifeline, and when they do get some solid scientific answers, um, not only do they regain their faith, but if they really listen carefully, they find out how foolish the things that are being taught in school really are. Mm. And, you know, Randy, I, I'm familiar with this in the areas where, where I've specialized in apologetics, where someone is struggling and ready to lose their faith, and, and then they get our materials, and suddenly they, oh, the relief is there. And I've been through it in my own life, you know, when I was studying and, and, and being challenged early on and having to come up with these answers. But I have very little scientific background, so I know the questions to ask. I can do a great apologetics presentation on a certain level, but the moment you challenge it, I can't answer because I don't have the background. But I'm okay with that because I know that you're out there and websites like yours are there. In other words, everyone watching and listening, you don't necessarily have to master every subject. You just have to know that there are experts, solid, intellectually sound, well-educated, who've done the homework, and they have answers scientifically, philosophically, theologically. And then you just know, need to know where to go for these resources. So, Randy, thanks not just for the work you're doing, but for making it available to so many people through the website, icr.org. We'll have to have you back on and, and get into some things in greater depth. But thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks for the great discussion. All right. So once more, icr.org. And just, I was glancing at, yeah, during the interview, I was glancing at the website there. A lot of fascinating articles that are there. Hey, friends, let's pray God's will. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in America. Your will be done in the upcoming election. May Jesus be glorified. May your kingdom purposes be accomplished. That's our prayer. That's our great prayer. All right, back with you tomorrow.